0: From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry.
1: With the journey to trying to find um, higher quality materials, I had talked to a few um, filament makers, you know, extrusion folks at the time, and. And again, this is 2012, 13, and no one was uh, kind of a dedicated 3D printing filament maker. They were making, um, you know, plastic welding rod, you know, weed whacker line and and stuff like that. Just other things, other profile extrusions. And they just thought, oh, well, we can just make it to the size that these 3D printer guys want and, and just sell that. And I think that's fine, except, what they're, except what they're doing is um, they're using extruders um, and running all kinds of materials through them for different customers and different products. And um, not that they were just trying to be cheap or not caring. It was just that for their products, for their normal products, um, the, the specifications and, and uh, cross-contamination and stuff like that just wasn't as critical.
0: That was Michael Cow. Michael founded IC3D in 2012 as a 3D printer design and manufacturing company. IC3D is one of the first 3D printer companies to manufacture their own line of 3D printing filament in-house. For 13 years, Michael was a senior mechanical engineer at Honda R&D, where he earned several automotive patents and designed interiors for future products. Michael started his Honda career in 2003 after completing a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Oklahoma. While at OU, Michael led the Formula SAE team to design and build race cars for their annual collegiate level competition. Michael also led the Honda team to redesign the interior of the Acura NSX. He joins the show today to talk through his journey as an entrepreneur and how IC3D is building a fully end-to-end materials and manufacturing company. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining the show today. Excited for the conversation. Uh, We got to meet in person a few weeks ago, or about a month ago now, at uh, the America Makes TRX event over in Columbus, where you're based. Uh, So welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: So I like to start a lot of these podcasts with folks that have awesome journeys like you to... Like just start from the beginning, kind of like what, where'd you grow up? What were you interested in? Like kind of where's the story start for you on your path to entrepreneurship and and 3D printing?
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So uh, my, I grew up in Oklahoma city. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, but we moved to Oklahoma city when I was about three or so. And my uh, dad and some of his brothers, their trade was uh, auto repair so they opened up a little automotive repair business there. Um, and that's, that's where I grew up just as a little kid. You know, there's no, no daycare. It was just going out to the shop. So I got a lot of just hands-on experience, just mechanical kinds of things. Um, my dad, we lived in an old house. Um, so my dad was always fixing something, uh, you know, in, in the house. And so, again, that was just more opportunities for hands-on. I think, I think, you know, thinking back, that was probably a lot of, um, how I ended up being a mechanical engineer. Awesome. So then, uh, yeah.
0: And, And so kind of, were you generally interested in kind of the mechanical stuff or is like you saw kind of your dad and people around you every day, like working on stuff and like he kind of just get kind of, uh, interested in kind of what everyone else is doing. Like, was it. Just natural as well to pick up what the mechanical stuff and fix things and, and build. St-
1: yeah, that stuff definitely became really natural. Um, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it as a kid. You know, it was just something you had to do and yeah. just dirty and whatever. Um, but then, uh, you know, I, I think I'd rather like play video games and do that kind of stuff. Play with old old computers, um, but then. Later, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to major in, in college, um, it, it kind of came down to like robotics and, and, and stuff like that. That was what I was really interested in. And so some counselors were like, all right, well, there's some mechanical engineering in that. There's electrical, there's some programming. So it was fairly diverse, you know, in, in, in the engineering world. I, I ended up um, finding a, a organization called Formula SAE. If you heard of that, that's a collegiate level uh, race car design and build competition. Um, at the time, it was it was about 140 schools on a globally, and so I did that for about three years. And because of my sort of auto repair and, and like parts knowledge and experience, uh, that was pretty easy for me. And but it was the first time I got a chance at to uh, uh, do real design work, like designing completely new parts versus just replacing them. Then um, it was also my first experience getting to work with a, a bigger team, you know, managing like 40 people. Eventually I was team captain and I uh, just kind of found a knack for it. I, I felt comfortable. It felt kind of natural. Um, got some good feedback and that kind of kind of really um, drove me to uh, like an engineering job in the in the automotive area so when i finished uh, school this is about 2003 that's when i um, got a job with honda r&d and that's how i ended up in columbus ohio
0: so with that uh kind of group that you were leading so you said you're leading about 40 kind of students to to build these these vehicles like what were some of your early leadership lessons that that you took away, or kind of learnings that you you tried to um, kind of take with you, even kind of as your leading company now?
1: Um, excuse me. Yeah, certainly, lots and lots of lessons uh, learned there. The biggest one is probably just putting um, putting the right people in the in the right spots, mm-hmm. you know, versus Uh, versus trying to do something yourself because it's maybe fun, but it might be like a critical area um, where someone's just better for it. Um, And yeah, so I I learned that lesson uh, several times. So that's, that's one of the things I feel like has been, that has helped me, you know, in, in terms of working with other people.
0: And I imagine as a student organization too, like as a volunteer, right? Like you guys are all busy with your normal classwork and other stuff. And so Some people are probably more motivated. Like they're not getting paid, right? Like it's paid in pride, essentially. Um, So So like trying to figure out how to motivate people and and kind of work on that spectrum of like, hey, this person's really motivated and is going to show up every day when you ask them to, versus the other end of the spectrum, like they're generally interested, they'll help, but less reliable.
1: Um, Yeah. So the yeah. So figuring out you know how to how to motivate people, how to drive people. Um, figuring out clarifying really clarifying you know what the why is for anything was was super important Um, certainly getting yeah like you said getting a bunch of uh, college students to work really hard for free um, amidst all the you know the finals and you know dating and all that stuff figuring out themselves um, so building their their friendships Um, and then you know people also dealing with other organizations and clubs and again, trying to figure themselves out. Definitely a challenge.
0: What was the end result of that? Do you build a new vehicle every year or is it like a cumulative thing that you kind of do over a couple of years and compete?
1: Yeah, it has to be a brand new vehicle every year. So most of the teams uh, that were more mature would even start in the summer, Oh wow! you know, having design meetings and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, you know, you sort of sooner to start school starts, um, especially when you, uh, get funding, start to get funding and you have your, um, you know, the, the finance person is able to really start doing stuff. That's when you start buying, buying parts and things like that. And, um, just, uh, almost, you're almost trying to, like, you're, you're trying to design it, uh, as much as you can, but like finalize stuff as much as you can, as quick as you can. So you can actually start building, building things and then getting time in the machine shops and all that, all that stuff. And then um, you hope to get it, you hope to get a car done, you know, kind of early, mid second semester. So you can actually test it, right? You don't want to go up to a race and a competition and, with an untested vehicle. Yeah. Um, and, and even with that, you, you have to do a lot of reporting before the competition. So, so you're having to give a whole, create a whole presentation, cost analysis and, 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 like, again, a big design review, prepare for a big design review for judges. So, yeah. And then so, you go so. and the competition's like, you know, like 70% of it's dynamic, so which means the car is actually moving, you know, acceleration, skid pads, autocross, endurance, and then fuel economy. And then the other part's static, uh, which is like a design review. Again, the cost and that cost part of it.
0: So after kind of graduating, you have all this experience, kind of running this team, you go over to Columbus, you're at Honda to start. So what, what were you doing there?
1: Um, so I was working, so I worked for uh, Honda R&D and I was, I had signed up with a seating group as part of the interior group and uh, just designing parts and for components for new Honda and Acura vehicles. Um so it was actually it was actually incredibly similar to um, the experience I had uh, in the Formula SAE program. So that was actually really good. I encourage a lot of people who are kind of seeking this path to really explore that.
0: And so, yeah. how does it work? And so, I mean, Honda's an enormous organization, right? Like, there's Honda, Acura, but then all the other vehicles and motors that they make. And and so, what? what does the group in Columbus focus on or kind of how do you how did kind of part design fit into the, the broader mission or goal of the company?
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, so obviously the, the mothership is in Japan mm-hmm. and so like the main business office and, and engineering is there. Um, Honda R and D Americas is kind of the second largest uh, R and D office after that. And The Americas, um, it started off, I think, in the maybe the 80s and it was to as a local office to um, localize things. So, so, for example, they might do most of the Honda Accord in Japan and then the uh, the Americas office would localize it. So maybe there are certain features that um, that are more suited to, you know, Americans or to sell vehicles in America. Um, sometimes there's like regular regulatory kinds of things and compliance and it'd, it'd be that, but right now, um, Honda America, Honda R and D Americas is mature enough that they are, uh, creating full platforms. Now they might take an engine that was, uh, developed, designed and developed in Japan, but everything else may be, um, designed from the ground up uh, in the U S
0: that's awesome. and, yeah is that around the time you got kind of some exposure to 3d printing or where did the, the exposure first come when on that front?
1: Yeah. So the first time I saw a printer was senior year of college, but okay. it was, I don't even remember what it was. I just remember it used wax and There was a big yeah. jug of it. That was red and another big jug that was green and it was broken. So I, don't, I have not seen that run um, when I was in school. And I remember just in one of these manufacturing classes, just watching a video and it was a quick blurb in in, in this video. So I knew what it was. Um, but when I started, pretty much as soon as I started at Honda R&D um, 2003, uh, you know, I was designing little plastic parts, little injection molded parts. And my boss was like, hey, uh, we got just recently got a couple of 3d printers downstairs, you know, in our, we had a big fabrication lab and he said, Hey, you can get your stuff prototype. So, so I did. And uh, at the time the gentleman running the lab was, he wasn't not that busy because nobody really knew he existed uh, because it's kind of a brand new capability, brand new lab. And so he, he had a lot of time and he explained a lot of the ins and outs of the couple of printers. That they had and a super nice guy and i was not so busy because i was fairly a fairly new guy and um so i became sort of his evangelist uh on to the other engineers and designers to say hey we've got this service now you know you can go get your thing printed for free downstairs and so he would just take a lot of time to show me like the the insides of the machine the process um different materials and he would just print all kinds of, um, sample parts for me. And so I'd be like, Oh, Hey, print this, print that, print this, and Hey, leave print this, but leave, you know, print this twice, but leave support material on the other, on the other side, you know, don't wash it out. Um, and stuff like that. So, um, it was, it was kind of fun. So the next few years, it was just getting a lot of parts that I was designing made.
0: What was your favorite part that you designed?
1: Uh, favorite part um it's hard to say uh well eventually within honda i managed uh, i was project leader for the for the full interior for the sports car it's called the nsx Mm -hmm. um so i guess as a whole that that was my favorite thing i did
0: did you get to drive it yes yes (laughs)
1: lots of time lots of time Uh, because i was in charge of um design of the interior yeah. which includes it, that includes um, like interior performance. So it included how the seats feel, you know, for what the customer is going to do with it. And, and it's not a minivan. So I, I did get to drive it on the, on a track a lot. And, you know, how, how does it feel when you corner, like what are your knees going to bump into? Right. So, so we had to think about padding and some, some ergo and controls and things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed being in that spot and it was fun driving that and, pro, you know, pre-production prototypes and um, competitor cars.
0: That's great. And kind of when did you make the transition to more of the entrepreneur route? So Honda's massive company and kind of you're in a pretty structured environment, I'm guessing, but kind of what, what was next?
1: Um, so in 2011 uh, was when I first discovered the desktop printer kits um, you know the most popular one was MakerBots, you know they had their cupcake and then the, the thingamatic um, <clears throat> so I, I my first printer my first personal printer was a thingamatic kit um, and that was just a hobby just playing with it and then in 2012 or at the end of 2011 I learned about RepRap. rap um, you know the open source Uh, replicating Rapid Prototyper. And so I ended up, the stuff I was printing on my MakerBot Thingamatic ended up being RepRap parts. And so in 2012, I just really got into sort of tinkering with modding and building uh, RepRap printers. Uh, Specifically, there was one called the Mendel Max that was mostly made out of aluminum extrusion. So it was a hobby that just kind of went kind of wild. And I ended up building like, 50 or 60 printers in my basement that year um, and put them in local schools and um, sold them on eBay and, and stuff like that. And that's that's how I decided to start um, the LLC at the time, which, which is IC3D. Um, yeah, so, so then uh, like around 2013 and, and uh, in 2013, I decided not to do um, desktop printers myself anymore. And I got into materials because the, the printer thing as a side uh, side job or side business, it was very difficult um, because there's so much going on, so much activity. But at the same time, with my some injection molding background, um, I thought I uh, was struggling to find a higher high quality U.S. made filament. And I said, how hard can extrusion be, you know, and um, it turned out to be a lot more. Complicated than I thought, but famous last anyway, words. <laughs> my mind was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I got into plastic extrusion again as a side thing, um, partnering with a, a bigger factory um, in 2013. And so around 2014, 14, 15, I was sort of mentally um, checking out of the corporate world um, and uh, just, just didn't really see, see my future, um, enjoying life, uh, in, in the big kind of big corporate company world. And at the same time, things for the IC3D were kind of picking up. And, uh, so I, I pretty much, and then we, and then I added a couple partners, um, Kimberly Gibson and Matt Organischak around 2015. And we just started doing a lot of, uh, scheming and brainstorming of What this thing is what kind of company what kind of values and mission and that kind of stuff and so pretty much made the decision mentally at least in 2015 and the project i was working on this this nsx uh launched in the summer of 2016 and the you know vin number one rolled off the line and the next day i put in my two weeks i just felt like that was that chapter was complete Um, i Feel like there were no loose ends um, remaining. And that was it. Just have a look back.
0: And how did you link up with your two partners?
1: Um, Two very different paths uh, with uh, Matt Organishak. He he was a customer and then he had learned that I was in uh, uh, Columbus. He was buying uh, my filament and learned I was in Columbus and then called me up. Or messaged me, uh, asked uh, with a question to get help with his uh, some a component he was looking for for his printer, and I helped him out. And then um, he, I noticed he was into rally cars. He was helping a, 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 a local guy build rally cars and stuff. And I was a sort of a car guy, and so we met up, um, and then just kind of hit it off uh, as friends. And he was at I think his final year or so. Uh, at uh, in, in college and trying to figure out what he was going to do and he actually took a job in Ann Arbor um, for just under a year but really wanted to move back to Columbus for, for several reasons and one thing led to another and he, he became full time at IC3, a partner um, and then with Kimberly uh, also 2014 we met a few times um, at different events and things and then uh, towards the end of, towards the, the third time, she was also sort of exploring um, something something new, a, a new path um, and she had some 3d printing experience from like the business development viewpoint. And so uh, she really wanted to give small business a try. Uh, she had she has a vast experience in, in the government world and so you know you partner the, the kind of the golden rule of partnerships is, uh, you partner with people who share uh, similar values, but have different skills, right? And so that really defines the relationship I have with both Matt and Kimberly. Very similar values in life, um, but but different skill sets for sure. And so we kind of all lean, lean on each other and it just felt right. So um, that's probably one of the luckiest things. Um, from my viewpoint, when you're, when you're trying to like start a business or something, just finding good partners.
0: So can you talk a little bit about the kind of ecosystem of filament for kind of the extrusion technology? So you, you said initially that as you were thinking about kind of making your own, like that it was hard to find stuff that was locally sourced, quality was kind of sketchy kind of, were those kind of the the main kind of drivers for you or will, like, as you started to go down that path and, um, Taking pellets and extruding them, like w- what did you learn? Like what was the the feel of the market that that you got to to learn about as you kind of dive in with with your company?
1: Um, yeah, the there were so with the with the journey to trying to find um, higher quality materials. I had talked to a few um, filament makers, you know, extrusion folks at the time, and and again, this is 2012, 13. And no one was uh, kind of a dedicated 3D printing filament maker. Th- they were making, um, you know, plastic welding rod, you know, weed whacker line and, and stuff like that. Just other things, other profile extrusions. And they just thought, oh, well, we can just make it to the size that these 3D printer guys want and, and just sell that. And I think that's fine, except what they're, except what they're doing is, um, they're using extruders um, and running all kinds of materials through them for different customers and different products. And um, not that they were just trying to be cheap or not caring. It was just that for their products, for their normal products, um, the the specifications and, and uh, cross-contamination and stuff like that just wasn't as critical as it needs to be for 3D printing. Right. And, um, so I was trying to figure out why like random jams would happen, why random issues would happen, even with something that was like so, well, was like working for months and then all of a sudden not work. Um so after that, my conclusion was that um kind of my hypothesis was like, okay, if if these guys are if these guys are not completely purging or cleaning the equipment between materials. Like if they're running polycarbonate and then they're after that, they're running PLA or something and they have a little speck of polycarbonate in the PLA. Well, that's I mean, that's an instant jam right there. And so off of that, off of that um, hypothesis, uh, basically, I got uh, got two um, commercial grade extrusion lines and said, oh, I'm only going to run like these materials like that have. Very similar. I'm going ha- only going to run materials that have this very similar um, melting temperatures, right? And that was it. And so, you know, controlling other parts of the process, of course. But, um, yeah. So we've been making filament for about eight years now, um, with with pretty good feedback from the from the community. And, but I guess, you know, the the current state of things, you know, yes, the quality uh, overall has increased, and I think you can find. Uh, pretty consistent stuff now um, overseas and because the demands continually increased and that's fine um, for us. The materials uh, side is more than just um, like sell, you know, making money from selling materials. It's about that vertical integration and that whole um, ecosystem for us, you know, having the ability to control materials, um, and develop new materials uh, and then have a printing service that's mostly comprised of uh, machines that we've designed and built and, and controlling, controlling the outcome of that. And then being able to help customers um, uh, with new applications, with the understanding of both materials and machines and, and that whole tuning has been really valuable. Um, that's that's been, I think that's that a big part of us uh, getting the opportunity to work with the Army on this research project. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that. I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more in a second. But kind of going back to when you started, um, you're doing kind of your own extrusion. So you need some sort of raw material pellets and things like that. But um, typically those are, are sold by the the truckload and or the the train load in, in many cases yeah. so was that a challenge at all like did you have to i, mean, I know there's some con- converters or kind of middlemen in the industry that will kind of give you hundred kgs of material but from my experience like that's a- often very hard like harder than getting like a silo full of pellets right
1: yeah um definitely um so the the unit of measure that we um, we have to buy we buy these these pellets in is called a Gaylord and mm-hmm. it's basically a, a big cardboard box fits on a pallet right yeah. and a Gaylord of resin is typically somewhere between depending on the resin depending uh, somewhere between you know fifteen hundred and you know just under a ton <laughs> fifteen hundred pounds to just under a ton. Um, <clears throat> And that is for sure small, uh, for a lot of these companies, but they're, they're still fine. They're still fine selling it at, at that unit. Um, and, uh, you know, in the beginning, um, when we were just, just starting, we would only order like one of these boxes every few months. Right. Um, now we have them coming in, you know, every, every, every other day or something, but, uh, I was, th- I mean, people were, people were pretty understanding. I think people were pretty like supportive of, of small business in general and willing to work with you. So,
0: yeah. And now, so you've, you've kind of built out your kind of materials ecosystem. We talked a little bit about kind of the vertical integration and you've got kind of kind of going back to the some early days in the rep wrap side and kind of, you've got a machine kind of, kind of in kind of, uh developing and kind of uh, building out your your further capabilities so kind of how is what's kind of the the vision for the the company now is that really like that end-to-end vertical integration we control the materials we know the machines and by definition we can get kind of good quality parts out
1: yeah uh just just to be honest like we and, and yeah just to be honest in the beginning um we didn't really have a solid plan and we didn't, we didn't have like, you know, this like 20 step process. You, you didn't know, have the NBA,
0: uh, the NBA deck of 10 no. slides, and this is going to be hockey stick growth by year three.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. No uh, formal business plan. We just did the, you know, the lean canvas kind yeah. of thing. We did like several of those, which, which is which is awesome because when we look back at them years later, we're, we're still like right on, we're still like on track for those. But um, yeah, we intentionally didn't uh, get any, accept any like VC monies, um, private equity things like that. We just wanted, we just valued uh, mental freedom um, to make decisions on, on where to go. So, I would say just about a hundred percent of like our our decisions are based are uh, customer driven. Right. So it's just over the years, you know, customers saying they need this. They have these kinds of problems. They, you know, this and that. Um, And that's guided the materials we make, the printers that we design and build and just the stuff that we add to our facility. Um, And that's just been a lot of fun. You know, I think I'm not really I'm not a like a researcher that just wants to find something novel to put my name on it or to put it on a shelf. Um, I am uh, pretty pragmatic. Like the stuff I work on, I mean, it, it needs to solve a problem. It needs to be helping someone, you know, or I'm not really interested in it. So um, that that's really guided how everything has gone.
0: That's awesome. It's still very refreshing. I mean, we, we, I've taken a similar approach in terms of my companies and like, Start with zero on the bank account and you kind of, kind of slowly build, build up and gives you more freedom to do different things or explore other, other opportunities versus some of the, the external funding routes. And, and so as kind of that has evolved, like where are you guys at today? Kind of what's on, on your radar. There's some big trade shows coming up this, this month and um, yeah. with rapid and, and some others, but kind of what's, what's really exciting you now and what's kind of right in front of you.
1: Yeah, so um, it, it all comes down, for us it all comes down to uh, applications development, um, really making AM useful to people now, like today. So we end up working with a lot of um, you know, larger OEMs, big suppliers, like big automotive suppliers and, and things like that, um, You know, companies, factories that are, are manufacturing stuff now doing a lot of uh, either larger prototypes or jigs and fixtures or certain types of tooling, low volume production. Um, we've done uh, low volume production for even large companies, you know, their first trial runs of, of stuff, uh, wherever it makes sense. And so that kind of stuff is really exciting for us. Um, so going back to applications, um, we, we want to, we're going to be um, figuring out what, uh, more uh, applications for what we're doing within DOD. I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, the more certain materials that we're, are, are, are coming up that we're working on have a specific function that we're excited about. Um, getting into final, releasing this uh, 3D printer, um, that's sort of a medium-sized industrial printer. Um, it's geared towards uh, some very specific uh, customers that we have in-print service um, to to help them uh, do their thing in-house. Um, so again, not so specific, but it's all about like applications
0: and yeah. And we were talking a little bit before we we kind of started the recording about um, some of your DOD work. you got a cyber going with the army to the extent that you can talk about it without having, out having to to kill me and get rid of the, the evidence of Yeah, that kind yeah. Of what's, what's the idea there or kind of even what's the story of like, for this, I know there's a handful of, of people that listen to this that are running their own small business. Maybe just start with like, what's a SIBR? Like how did you get involved in the process of, of pursuing that avenue of funding and then maybe yeah. get into the actual topic?
1: Sure. SIBR um, stands for small business, innovative research, and it's uh, basically um, government R and D funds, uh, specifically geared towards supporting small business, like exactly like the title says, small business. So it's so so large government primes can't be the prime uh, on, on can't get sibbers. Um You can partner with people with with sibbers, but small business. And the other focus is on commercialization. So. So even though they're looking for a new technology to use within the government, and I say government, not just DOD, because um, the CIPA program also includes um, uh, NASA and NSF and stuff like that. Um, and, and I think like, like Department of Energy and Department of Ag and, and stuff like that. So it's, it is government wide. Anyway, so it's not just them looking for a new technology. They want to make sure you have a really strong commercialization plan that you're that the results of this research you're going to be able to, to make money off of it and sell so make a product or service or whatever. Um, so uh, our our cyber topic is geared towards 3D printed tooling, um, but specifically they wanted they wanted um, to produce tooling for an, an over molding process. Like if you think of a electrical harness, like a cable at the end, like even your headphone headphones, right? Uh, The wired ones at the end, there's a little kind of rubbery protective coating and and a little flex thing that's over molding. So they, they mold over the connector, the solder joints and, and the cable. And so they wanted tooling for this, but specifically, they didn't want to just uh, use Ultim on a really high-end uh, printer, on an expensive printer, and get this done. They specifically wanted to utilize the desktop printer infrastructure, right? That's already out there. So you can kind of imagine, um, see the value of that, right? So with with uh, the capabilities, if you develop capabilities for lower cost, I'd say a bit more rugged machines, then you can you can have that capability much closer to the actual environment where battles are taking place. Right. And when you're talking about a multi-domain battlefield you now from strategic, which is like at home, like in the US, to close, which is like out in the out out there right, at the front lines. Um, so the, the further you can push capability out there, the better um, for all. And so the, the challenge challenging part is not just finding a material that works for the application. It's finding a material that, developing material that works with a common desktop printer um, that also meets the specifications for this manufacturing process. So in a nutshell, that's what our project is about. Um, we... We're awarded our phase one in two thousand nineteen, and then uh, it was a six month six month project. Um, and then uh, shortly after, um, we uh, even though even though COVID happened, we were still able to uh, submit our proposal. And things got a bit delayed, but we were awarded the phase two um, at the towards the end of last year. And so we started. We started. We're about a third of the way through are phase two, which is, I guess, I guess to to step back and explain the phases uh, to folks who aren't as familiar with SIBRs or SBIRs, a phase one is uh, typically like a feasibility, like get your feet wet, you know, um, see how, uh, let let the DOD folks kind of get to know you um, and and see how it goes. So it's a feasibility phase. It's not that much money, relatively speaking, and it's only six months, which is relatively quick. Uh, But once you kind of get through that and can prove yourself as a company, as uh, of your legitimacy and prove that the concept is good, um, then you can apply for the phase two, which is a lot more money and a lot more time. And, And you get to uh, really do more um, kind of structured product development, engineering, that kind of thing. So you actually get a lot more funding to uh, do a lot of testing, you know, a lot of printing coupons and breaking them and, and collecting data and things like that. Things that are are, are necessary, right, um, in order to come out with a product. Um, and and so that's that's what we're in. There's also a phase three, um, that, that, that you can get um, that from my understanding is not from the, the cyber, um funding <clears throat> pot. It's, it's usually funded by other um, kind of external means and, and various, uh, various uh, branches of, of the military can, can kind of jointly fund a phase three. And it's, it's a lot about Uh, applications, more applications development. So where can the research you've done fit in uh, to other groups? And that, that, that also has larger, higher, you know, funding amount.
0: Did you um, propose the original kind of topic or kind of approach, or was this something that, Hey, there's a bunch of topics that are released every year and it happened to overlap with what you guys were doing or thinking about? Um,
1: It, it was a, it was a topic that was posted publicly. Mm -hmm. And um, we did happen to know the TPOC, the the technical point of contact listed on the, on the topic. And so, um, you know, that that person's usually again it's publicly posted on there, <clears throat> and typically you can contact uh, that person and have conversations uh, before the proposal deadline. And so, after some conversations and some clarifications, uh, we did feel like this was really um, up our alley uh, because it was partly materials research, materials manufacturing, and then applications development so i mean you've been over to our facility so you can kind of i mean you know that i mean it was just we were just legitimately in, in in line with with all that stuff um versus just a research lab you know and and again the, the commercialization aspect <clears throat> we felt was pretty strong and, and legitimate because we wanted this kind of material for our customers in print service and materials right uh, most of our com- uh, customers are our businesses and they're making stuff they're making fixtures and tooling and whatever so we're it just seemed like a perfect fit That's awesome yeah
0: and so kind of as we look to kind of wrap up this conversation hopefully we'll have more and i'll see you in person that wrap it in a few weeks i mean what um What are you excited about for the next few months and and kind of your company or the growth of kind of you professionally in terms of what you're doing, building the team? Like what's, uh, what's exciting?
1: Um, I think one of the most exciting things for us right now is the, the new 3D printer, uh, Virago. And it's, you know, we've been uh, designing and building our own machines for about, for a little over five years now, since the beginning of 2016, and for the most part, these machines have just been, have just been for uh, in-house use to do a, to print a certain thing for a customer. And um, this printer is kind of uh, our, maybe our fourth generation machine. And it's just taken a lot of lessons learned uh, from, from usability, reliability, and, uh, and, and things like that. Um, and, and this is, kind of the best machine that we've, we've come up with lately. And so we're, we set off uh, trying to design a printer that we would want to build out our own fleet of, right? So this, this machine, we want to build out like 50 of these for our print service. Uh, there was no machine that we felt um, uh, that we wanted to commit to in terms of like a, a cost performance perspective, <clears throat> and so, so we designed and built this machine for us, and then we decided to that it was we felt confident enough to uh, share this with others. So that's why we made the decision to release it um, as a product this year. So we've taken it to a couple of shows um, earlier this year, taking it to Rapid. Uh, we've we've sold a couple on on paper that we're delivering uh, a month. Uh, so we're ex- we're excited about that. And just a lot more conversations happening that we're excited about related to um, getting more of our machines out there. And uh, just re- also really excited about um, just leveraging the vertical integration and the ecosystem we've built, right? So, for example, uh, not just selling someone a machine or selling someone materials or doing service, but doing really interesting, kind of high value things like uh, we can help you. We can help you do 3D printing in house. We can help you with multiple printers if you're trying to figure out production. We can help you um, produce maybe a specific material that you want to, and and help you tune those profiles for the thing you're trying to do with your machine. Um, if you're, you know, since we're planning on having a fleet of these ourselves, you know, you can do interesting things like, hey, uh, if you are, if you're running production with our machine in house. And something goes wrong or something happens or you have a spike in demand, we can we can kind of sh- shift that over to our facility, you know, uh, pretty quickly and, and and not have much downtime for you. Right. Um, so so stuff, stuff like that um, is I think it's unique value. Uh, I think it's high value for certain customers. And and those are uh, have been have been interesting uh, uh conversation points with some of our potential customers.
0: That's awesome. Cool. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm excited to, to see you in a couple of weeks and everyone listening should stop by their booth at, at rapid and and check out all the the cool stuff they're doing. So appreciate the time today and we'll see you soon.
1: Cool. Thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Good luck. I'll see you, I'll see you soon. Sounds good.